Welcome to Creating Dangerously. Our name is taken from the Albert Camus 1957 lecture, Create Dangerously, where he said, To create today is to create dangerously. Any publication is an act, and that act exposes one to the passion of an age that forgives nothing. In Creating Dangerously, we look back at those who have created dangerously to those who continue to do so today in an age that still forgives nothing. I'm your host, Skip Shea, so let's create dangerously. Welcome to Creating Dangerously. I'm joined today, as always, with uh, our co-hosts, uh, Andrea Wolanin and Patrick Bracken. And today we're going to be talking about satire through the lens of absurdism, or at least through Camus' lens of absurdism from uh, his writings, uh, seeing that's what you know the show is kind of based on. In fact, uh, Albert wrote in The Myth of Sisyphus, A man stands face to face with the irrational. He feels within him his longing for happiness and for reason. The absurd is born of this confrontation between the human need and the unreasonable silence of the world. So today we're going to be talking about the fun <laughs> topic of absurdism, the philosophy of absurdism, of absurdism. But I think one of the best artistic expressions of it, which is satire. So we will start with... Um, you guys have any thoughts on on that quickly or slowly <laughs> <laughs> i i absolutely don't think satire is dead but i think satire is very difficult in this day and age um it's very hard to satirize uh things when they've gotten so extreme and, and i was reminded of that just you mentioned sisyphus uh I, I was on social media, forgive me, uh, and uh, saw that uh, somebody had posted something about Sisyphus, but they framed it in a way that it was a really positive, like self-growth thing. Like, here's someone who never gives up, who just keeps pushing that rock. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and so uh, I, I think satire is, is difficult these uh, this day and age. And I'm, I'm curious to know um, your thoughts on that. I'm my my personal reflection is as I'm I've always loved satire but I think satire is a faulty tool is my general opinion on satire oh can can go further with that yeah of course I think satire can too easily be um misunderstood by people especially outside of the age um that they that they're making it in and and one example is uh Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles is, is, I think, very obvious satire for the era that it's in when they were having a lot of issues around um, race and segregation, and or rather desegregation. And Mel Brooks came along and he made this piece that, that threw us back to immediately after slavery and how it was then and drawing a line by how saying, showing how little had changed and honestly today still how little has changed but a lot of uh millennials today view it as a dated racist film when at the time it was a satire and i think a lot of films that we see today are going to you know they run the risk of like the great dictator becoming schmaltzy by delivering the message directly or you know they run the risk of late like blazing saddles becoming considered um, a story, a positive towards what they're actually trying to satire or, or culpable in what they're trying to satire. That's interesting. Richard Pryor co-wrote Blazing Saddles. I'm aware. I will say he, Richard Pryor co-wrote Blazing Saddles, but his favorite character to write was Mongo. So, you know, <laughs> take, take with Would've that what you will. Satire it seems to be timely. It has to. It, it works in its time and its place. Part of the found uh, the foundation. We have a, a monthly free monthly screening in Southbridge at Starlight that Patrick and I um, co-host. And the first one we showed was the Marx Brothers Duck Soup because uh, I thought it was a, a brilliant satirical piece that they made during the rise of fascism. And again, it, it's kind of where I feel we are historically now. But there are are things in in Duck Soup that. Um, as subversive as it was, 
today don't play well. And and I think I have the joke here. Uh, th this is a Groucho Marx's Rufus T. Firefly. He says, my father was a little headstrong. My mother was a little Armstrong. The headstrongs married the Armstrongs, and that's why the darkies were born. And when he says that, I, I remember rewatching him going, holy shit. Like, what is that? I, I thought, you know, that's not how I you know, cognitive dissonance immediately, right? No, the Marx Brothers, they can't be racist. That's that's not them. I love them. But but they actually weren't. Um, that that was they were making fun of, of a song at that time that was racist. Uh, in fact, the Marx Brothers, uh, Groucho Marx was was one of the, the biggest celebrities who worked hard to eliminate blackface, mm -hmm. even though they performed it in, I think it was the day at the races. But th this is where people <clears throat> not only don't understand the satire of the time, misunderstand irony, mm -hmm. um, because Groucho and, and they're bumbling around like idiots with blackface on. And then they cut to uh, just basically all black scene. Where, where and it's probably one of the best dances you'll ever see in a movie, um, showing uh, uh, the opposite of of how stupid the Marx Brothers look because this is what they thought they were pretending to be and they were idiots doing it, uh, showing the the racism of it. Um, they they used to tour in vaudeville, uh, in the South and they were you know Jews from Manhattan, so they they understood to a lesser degree obviously the plight of of the black people of the time so but when we saw that i was like oh my god i can't i had to really research the joke to find out what he was making fun of and and it's right today people would just assume he's racist because we tend to always put how we are now on anything that we see in the past mm -hmm. um and that you're right that doesn't help satire at all yeah. And I think, you know, as um, we had discussed, uh, you know, discussing this this episode earlier, talking about Norman Lear and how looking back from now watching All in the Family, you're like, what the hell am I watching? Um, why are why is this show about this racist old white man who similarly is in a blackface band with his buddies? Yep. Um, how did this get on television? And Skip, as you as you pointed out, he's the punchline, you know, to it. And I think as a child watching that on Nick at Night, that never occurred to me, you know? And I think that's that's the interesting thing is is satire is all about context. You know, uh, I feel like a lot of people would read Candide today and not at all understand why or <laughs> what. Um, it was for what the point of it was, you know, because because it's all about context. Yeah, I, I think that still comes up. Um, I, I recently saw, uh, again, sorry, this is social media, and I, I should be spending less time with social media, but uh, somebody you, was talking you, about- You'll be there promoting this, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, somebody was talking about how uh, it's- uh, it's impossible for charismatic white actors to to be the bad guys. Uh, and one of the examples that was used is what many might consider a modern satire, which is American Psycho. Uh, people not realizing that um, that uh, uh, Bateman is the bad guy because he's the main character and he's played by uh, a handsome white guy. So I, I wonder if I wonder if there's just a, a problem with, with you know, media literacy. Um, uh -huh. you know, I'm wondering if know. that's a perspective problem, actually. Yeah. You know, because I think, I think for me, um, for me, when I'm walking down the street and I see a white guy, I'm more <laughs> cautious than if I see a Latino or a black mm -hmm. man. Um, you know, and I'm I'm thinking this whoever where where you wherever you got that from. I'm wondering what that what where that person's from and what their background is. Oh, I'm almost a hundred percent positive <laughs> it was a white male. Uh, who the thinks other he's example, handsome? Yeah, who thinks he's handsome? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other example that this person used was Inglorious Bastards, and. Uh, uh, <laughs> the the name of the actor is escaping me. The German, great Christoph German Waltz. actor, yes, Christoph Waltz, 
and his his character and uh you know but Brad Pitt is also a handsome white charismatic and actor so um I think that's why we now know Inglorious Bastards as kind of a model of moral ambiguity. That was a joke. Well, that was an absurd joke. Yes. Was, yeah. like, but the both the bad guy <laughs> and the and the good guy are played by uh, charismatic white men, so it's it's really hard to tell who's uh... I had this minute where I was like, I have to get off this call now. <laughs> <laughs> No, that was good because we we both froze for a second. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you delivered that very convincingly. But but the, the the guy said it's hard for white charismatic people. Is that the? Yeah, yeah. They, they was specifically white. Just, oh my was, god. Yeah, yeah. But so, that, so that brought me is, back. That person is right for satire themselves. Yeah, and that brought me back to Archie Bunker, who's maybe not handsome, but extremely charismatic, and and. Um, that's what I think that going back to what you said, Andrea, that's when one of the pitfalls of, of satire is, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you make your, your, the target of your satire too charismatic, people get confused about, uh, whether they should be mocking this person or on that, that, that person's side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think flip side of that, um, mm -hmm. satire in its time, um, mm -hmm is such an important tool because it 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 breaks down certain barriers i mean there are there are things here that people don't want to talk about mm -hmm. but if you put it in in something that's funny they feel like they're allowed to talk about it in a different way mm -hmm. uh, i think it, it's a safe way to to address some serious issues um because people um can laugh and then they're a little relaxed and then you can have a, a proper discussion about it. Mm -hmm. um, but that's why it is only a timely uh, form, art form. It really only works when, in, in its time at, at best. I mean, I mean, Dr. Strangelove, I think will always work because um, right It'll now, yeah. Because because we're always going to try to blow each other up. I I mean I am su surprised at, at that we have survived as long as a species when all we really try to do is kill each other. So I've come to the conclusion that we just uh, out reproduce faster than we kill. Well, some people do. Right. Well, I mean I'm, I'm talking about <laughs> as um, a, yeah 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 as a species yeah. yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Uh, so the, there's uh, um although they're right there's some sort of, again this is right for satire there's some sort of movement about that we need to have more children like elon musk was big on that like mm -hmm. like uh, where it, the hell it, did that come from is it an offshoot of quiverful or something like that i i don't know do you it's, know about quiverful i don't quiverful so that's what um the duggars that family that was on tv for having like a million and a half children um it's a i believe it's an offshoot of christianity um that is we need to have soldiers for god to go out and spread the word I think it's also a, f a feature of white replacement theory. Mm -hmm. uh, this is uh, white people need to have more babies. So we're not replaced in society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think, <laughs> I think uh, it, well, I mean, like when I was a, when I was a kid, so I am um, for those of you listening at home, I am <laughs> half Costa Rican, half Polish. So I'm that I I'm the pale version of uh that picture that they used to show on the nightly news that was like this is the future of america and it was you know somebody who was mixed race um i'm i'm the paler end of that spectrum um and i feel like i feel like what you're saying there is an element to that because um what they're noticing is that people in especially first world countries are stopping having children a lot of people are electively not having children in first world countries anymore because we have access to birth control um and sometimes abortion though not always anymore yeah. um and i think that's one of the fears to your point is that you know um especially that it's similar in japan where japan is is starting to panic because their population numbers are dropping severely which you would think on a tiny island is a good thing but when you're a global or want to be a global superpower it's not a good thing and i think uh, to your point, Patrick, the fear right now, the the big goblin for that is China, 
you know, oh God, the Chinese have so many more people than us. What are we going to do? And now they're throwing weather balloons over here. Oh God, you know, and I think uh, there is a lot of fear around that. Um, and I think, you know, showing people that people who look like me or similar to me are the future of America caused some of that fear. You know, I mean, think about immigration, how immigration's treated right now from any other country where people are darker than um you know a certain skin tone yeah the whole white replacement thing is just so bizarre to me and i, I remember the, the the march the tiki torch march right mm -hmm. you, you know jews will not replace us and i kept thinking they really don't want to no one wants to be you, <laughs> you you're you're safe in your mother's basement you're yeah. good mm -hmm. no one's <laughs> coming to kick you off that couch leave mm -hmm. us out of this thanks very much yeah I was like what is what is this you know again this is this screams absurdism how do we we got off on this tangent <laughs> yeah generally we're just talking about how satire is very much of its age and and you you mentioned dr strangelove as an example of mm. something that holds up yes and probably always will mm -hmm. yeah as we're warring beasts uh the I, one one that's on now that that i absolutely love is um kunk on earth Oh, you took that off of my list. I did. <laughs> it, it, it is incredible. Uh, um, shows, and it makes fun of history shows. It, it, it makes fun of ignorance uh, in mm -hmm. su such a, a, a brilliant way. Like one, one of the lines, I, I had to write this down when she said it because I thought this was brilliant. Rome's empire rose to supremacy under the leadership of Julius Caesar, the most notorious Roman until Polanski. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she says it with such a straight face that she delivers these lines perfectly talk about yeah, cognitive she, dissonance my yeah, brain she, just like shook out of my ear on yeah. that one and, uh, she has a, a, another one and i didn't write this down so i'm gonna probably butcher it but it's uh something along the lines of back then americans weren't as humble and as accepting as they still are <laughs> <laughs> womp womp well, she was actually asked asked some philosopher why why can't um why can't like the different religions just get along like they do in Ireland? Um, <laughs> like it's just a brilliant show, um, but it, it is definitely timely. I mean, uh, bringing history into it works, you know, because some of the jokes are universal. Some of the jokes will eventually be dated. And and that that's that's I think the dilemma. I mean, I, I think it was it's to show the history of Earth and to to lead us and it very perfectly leads us to the where the world is looking at this rise of fascism globally, and and how are we writing our history in the future? So it's very pointed at the end of this this series in a great way. And then they actually showed the ending is so brilliant. They actually showed that it's just all fake anyway it was all green screen and she's mm -hmm. they're in the studio and then how did that look and they take her wig off and um it, it's it's you know it's in a lot of ways it's you know blazing saddles riding off in the limousine off of a movie set i've found um and i will confess on social media um <laughs> when i posted about it it didn't matter people's political um leanings everyone seemed to like it which mm -hmm. struck me uh, because of the ending. Um, and, and I'm thinking, how did they miss that point? Because it wasn't there wasn't a joke there anymore. It, but everyone seemed to like it. So maybe something is sinking in. Maybe that's, I, I think, how uh, I'm going to say the insidious nature of satire for, for the targets is that maybe something sinks in and, and maybe a moment of self-reflection does take place. Um, I It's a hope. But I, I was, and I'm just a small sample size. You know, what is my social media outreach? You know, it's not, it's not that big. Not, and not that I want it that big. Um, <laughs> it, you know, Definitely not getting any representation from the Catholic Church. That's for sure. No, no well, no. Um, it's they, they, they tend to follow me. Um, <laughs> We're just curious what he's doing over there. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, so we are. Um, I suppose there should be some disclosure here, as we make all these Catholic and Christian jokes with me. <laughs> um, I um, 
just just to brighten the mood for a moment um i'm a survivor of, of clergy sexual abuse uh in, within the catholic church so um hence the the catholic jokes that we make um but i also uh, have used um satire uh when i did a one-man show and jokes to be able to discuss the issue with other people at a safer to make it a safer conversation or so i thought um actually I had people walk out on my jokes and i've been called the antichrist and 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 things like that because of my jokes which what i wanted compliment. the plaque i wanted the antichrist yeah. plaque. Yeah. i didn't know that he's a blasphemer i was called that I'm like that is great can can you put that in writing <laughs> I want that, you know the you know four stars he's a blasphemer <laughs> Well, that, that brings up another interesting point is that, can you have good satire without angering people? And I, I'm not sure that, that you can. I, I, I think, yeah, I, I hear your point, Skip, about making people laugh and, and bringing, uh, bringing people on board with that laughter. But uh, if it's effective, like your jokes, I assume they were effective, um, you know, don't you always run the risk of, of provoking anger? No, I uh, I did, um, but and I did intentionally. Um, I mean, I I, I th that's what angers me about so many comedians today. Yes, I I I offended people. Um, I know it. I own it. Um, it's you know, it's not it's something to say. I can't believe they're offended that I just made a fun of the faith that they used. They leaned on when you know their grandmother was dying. How can they be offended by what I just said? Of course they can. Um, so you, you should you, you you need to own it as an artist and as a person, and then and that's fine. I mean, I, I, people can not like me, and they can not like my jokes, and they can be angry, and they're not the people I'm trying to reach. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. the, there's another audience that that needs to hear this and realize, oh, geez, maybe maybe abuse is still occurring. Maybe I need to to be careful with this. Um, that's who I'm trying to reach. And I'm also trying to reach people who, who've lived through this and aren't comfortable speaking out about it the way that I do. Um, you know, there, there's there's still a lot of fear around coming forward because of, of how you're treated. Um, you know, there's some people, you know, you, you will lose people, which I, I counted as a blessing. You know, that's who, <laughs> who needs more people. We well, think... have enough. I think it's a self-selecting audience, which is always, I find very helpful. Yeah. You know, I think there is, there is a downside to, um, you know, as, as we relating it back to the tyranny of the audience in the, in the um, creating dangerously uh, essay, um, when you have a, when you have too broad of an appeal, it starts to drag you down to an effect you know but if you have a self-selecting audience you know they a lot of times they're the people that you want to associate with or at least hopefully a lot of them though it's you skip you don't want to relate to anybody i, so. I don't no, that, that's, that's the, you know i if i can the more people i get to leave the better i mean i that's how i generally would 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 rate my success with almost anything i've done is how many people have walked out mm -hmm. um that's good all right I've, did I've done something. it yeah um so that's probably not a business model most people want to use moving forward. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that. Um, but but other comedians who, and I think they hide um, not only behind, oh my God, I can't believe people are, are insulted by this. I think they also kind of hide behind irony. Um, they say, oh, no, no, I was just being ir ironic. But but were you? I mean, I, I don't know. Is that a safe haven to say whatever you want to say? I, I think that, that is, there's that's a there's a gray area there. I think irony is very misunderstood, uh, and, and I think I, I wish people did understand it more, um, especially you know uh, in satire. Like our, our, I mean, Archie Bunker was not the hero. Mm -hmm. um, it, 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 he was very likable, uh, and I think I think in some ways Norman Lear tried to poke fun of of them, but at the same time humanize the, this this you know, old person who just had these really old ideas. Um, mm -hmm. And then, that you know, his counterpart, uh, Rob Reiner, you know, Meathead, was actually not, you know, the bad guy. Um, which it, it's, I remember watching that as a kid, because I was, I'm that old that it was on TV first time <laughs> when uh, to watch it. And I was a teenager. 
and people even then you know my parents friends uh and possibly uh, my father kind of identified with archie mm -hmm. and didn't get that he was the punchline i mean i don't know how you don't get he's the punchline when sammy davis jr is kissing him <laughs> you know there that was the moment that, that um you know and he was horrified um and 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 i that was a great moment uh in tv history but i people did miss it so yeah i, I think you do have to for it to be somewhat more effective maybe you do have to to push the envelope a little bit further so re another recent one and and i know we we talked about it uh, prior to recording was is is don't look up will that play out in, in time i mean it's very very timely well if, if if climate change we don't address climate change it won't matter because no one in, in the future will see it um i think i think the the difficulty i have with it is that um i think it's i as i as i said to both of you i had avoided watching it for a long time um because i have a real existential phobia of climate change and um but i think one of the things is in terms of its future life um timeline future timeline future life is that it's not um clearly about climate change right. in a way where if if we somehow overcome climate change and can get our species into a sane place where we stop destroying the earth which we'll see you know you're going to look at it and be like why did they make a slightly more serious armageddon i don't understand you know mm -hmm. and i think as far as I know, Armageddon is not a satire. No. <laughs> I think a lot of people are going to see it, you know, as a satire of politics and social media rather than a satire of essentially a satire of politics of social media and of contemporary media with the Ariana Grande character, rather than seeing it as as how we're dealing with climate change in such a ridiculous manner. You know? Yeah, I, 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 I do. Yes, that but it, the way it also skewers media. Um, mm -hmm. The new news and, and you know entertainment because um, news is now entertainment um, mm -hmm. and and it's not the news it's not to tell us anything it, it it's to entertain for for ad revenue that's it uh, and I don't see that going away so I think that part of that and it's a big part of the show will always uh, for a long time ahead I mean um, I, I think resonate with people because or people who actually understand. That, that news is now entertainment because there are mm -hmm. people who swear by, you know, hate, hate mainstream, you know, they hate the mainstream media as they're watching mainstream media. Exactly. Tell, exactly. Telling them what they, they want to hear. It's, it's crazy. No, I was just going to, I wanted to get back to uh, what you said about irony a few minutes ago uh, and, and how it's really lost on a lot of people. And I think, especially these days, Irony is is tricky and needs context. Um, I just know from my personal experience of uh, I I would often make ironic statements similar to what I did earlier in in this episode about Inglorious Bastards being morally ambiguous. And if people don't have the context of who I am and what my philosophy is that can that can go over about as well as it did uh, in this case uh so so irony is is particularly tricky in satire i think uh it and uh i can i can see why it's uh why it's so difficult for a lot of people to to see it as irony and and, and instead see it as as some kind of truth about who the person is yeah i mean it seemed i i don't i don't know that uh the viewing public was any different during you know the marx brothers heyday where, yeah. where they where they got the the irony uh of especially the scenes in a day at the races but i think they did i think people knew who the marx brothers were and and i think they they knew where, where they stood on certain things i mean it, it, the, the um duck soup one of the most um subversive things in that is that the the war scene at the end Almost every time they cut back to Groucho, he's wearing a different uniform from a different war, showing that it's just a perpetual war. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not even acknowledged or said. It's just a visual gag to show us this. It was an incredibly anti-war statement for its time, in particular for its time, because, you know, uh, 
we were going to head into another one very soon. <laughs> you know, after after the great one ended with a war to end all wars. Good luck with that. Um, that didn't, didn't Damn it, it didn't out. work. <laughs> no, no, it just got, no, and it still doesn't. Uh, that, that's where we're still. I, um, you know, I think, I think to your point, there's this element um, of is satire only for an educated audience who is aware mm-hmm. enough or woke in our case now enough to understand the satire, but there's also something to be said, and this is um, getting a little on the border somewhere between psychology and uh, like witchy uh, manifestation magic, right? Is the idea that your subconscious is always working on the things that you see and you imagine. So when audiences see something like a day at the races where they're seeing this back-to-back white men bumbling in blackface black true black actors doing having an elegant dance scene or a very a bit you know something very skilled where they put those back to back um even if on the top they're like lol that's funny and don't even connect with it there's something in their mind and on the subconscious or unconscious level that had to have been processing that in some way right and i think a lot about i was very lucky to have a grandmother who was very old school but would process things in that way where you would have this long argument with her about gay rights and she was roman catholic brought up roman catholic was in the same church her whole life um her kids went to school there and and um you know i'd have an argument with her one week about how uh you know roman catholicism says no gay rights no gay marriage and then a week two weeks later she would be like i'm thinking about it and like, why, why shouldn't they? They're people. This makes no sense, you know? So there's there's some element to say, I mean, granted she was a special person and that she stayed open, but I think there is an element where even when you're not thinking about something, you're thinking about something or something's, if it's not clicking, there's some part of you that's processing it. I think that that is true. Um, I, you know, bringing up my, my father, who I think related to Archie Bunker, Years later, many, many years later, he's watching um, only because of Chris Matthews, who was a good Catholic boy. He's watching MSNBC. Mm. And they're doing a thing on uh, Obama's. Remember, Obama was both a a Christian and a Muslim at the same time. Mm. They couldn't figure out what they either hated his minister, Reverend Wright, or he was a Muslim. Either way, he wasn't what they wanted. But they were complaining about Reverend Wright, who was saying, why why should a Black celebrate um, the 4th of July? We were slaves. Mm-hmm. And my father looked at me and said, hey, you know, he's got a point. And I'm like, who the hell is this man? <laughs> like, whoa, 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 whoa. How, where did yeah. this, this moment of self-reflection uh, of everything you seem to have believed before, not um, cross-burning racist, but, but a man, you know, who was born in 1923, um just the stupid shit they were taught um but he was completely open to yeah oh my god that makes sense to him mm-hmm. yeah. uh and it, it was a great moment um so but it, it it showed me that that somehow something got through to him and he had to reflect on it he had to reflect on everything that he had thought before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think that's 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 exactly it is like is that the danger of of this is that that the creating dangerously part of satire that you're hiding like this little mind bomb for people <laughs> in the middle of a comedy like idiocracy how at the time it was made everybody was like what the hell um is this stoner comedy and then trump got elected and we all rewatched it and we went oh fuck yeah exactly <laughs> oh we did it <laughs> that 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 was the strange thing about that that movie in particular yeah, because uh, it was so out there, mm-hmm. ridiculously out there. Um, that at times I thought, "How did the hell did this even get made?" Mm-hmm. Um, and then there we were. Here we are. Um, there, there's actually I, I was leaning more towards absurdism, and I didn't write this down. Um, but Adam Driver is in another movie that's on Netflix now. White noise. <clears throat> yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
which is such a, a great example of absurdism. That is that is such an as an absurdist piece that uh, that I meant to jot it down um, and then and then I didn't. Uh, but I'm glad you remembered what it was. I I think that that's that that leads into uh, beyond satire, just uh, you know absurdism and what what's what is an absurdist joke? And I actually googled it, so I don't know if, <laughs> if, if how what the Google a- algorithm is for my <laughs> for my humor. <laughs> well, uh, but uh, here's the joke: what what do a bicycle and a duck have in common? What I don't know. They both have handlebars, except the duck. <laughs> yeah thank you i like the exhale there and i and i and thank you for the laugh um i like it i like it. i actually liked it too um th- that's and, and this this leads into the the absurdism point of you know that isn't satire just straight absurdism and i mentioned you know the dada movement in the last episode and it was uh, a movement that started in the early 20th century in in sweden actually mm-hmm. uh and then but it it eventually moved to Paris and New York where, where it flourished. And it consisted of artists who rejected logic reason uh, of the modern capitalist system and, and, it, and instead expressing nonsense in, in, in their work. Today, some some movies, I, I picked two movies that, that I think go with that and I, I'm trying to see if they're on. They are, they're on my five list, but I'm going to bring them up anyway. It's Bergman's Winter Light and, and Paul Schrader's First Reform, which is basically the same movie. I mean, Schrader admitted that he just <laughs> he just remade Winter Light, mm. and, and it's basically about a, a a minister who I think has no belief in in any kind type of God, uh, because the, of the silence that, that they hear, and people turn to the, the, the these ministers and both of them for help, and at, at a huge moment of an existential crisis, they have no answer, and and in both movies, the character then kills themselves. Mm-hmm. So this is what the minister is left with. Did, did you, either of you see First Reformed? Because it is because it is also a, a, a striking piece on climate change as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so That's Paul Schrader did did move and and he and he did this weird uh, Tarkovsky thing. He he actually I heard an interview and he's there's this one weird scene where people are levitating and he said, "Well, I just thought what would Tarkovsky do? He'd make them levitate." <laughs> he's not okay. wrong no but, <laughs> but but that also leads to you know it's absurd the the absurdist piece of these things yeah winter light is so uh, i mean <laughs> bergman it's depressing it's depressing anyway yeah. but this is i think the bleakest movie he's ever made yeah uh and and it's it's one of my favorites it, it's a really hard watch but it really shows the, the emptiness of, mm-hmm. of 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 what's out there we're all everyone is looking to connect to something uh and, and those who who uh claim to have good for them and and i hope that they have but i i you know again we, in the previous episode we talked i mentioned self-help books hmm. um that there is there are so many people who don't feel any connection to any any anything uh, out in the world it, it it's it, it showed politically, you know, the, the capitalism, communism. I mean, you you can you can name all sorts of things that mm-hmm. that remove people from any sort of tangible meaning. Well, but I think that's the issue, isn't it? Behind absurdism and existentialism, and and all of this is that um, all of these things are people searching for meaning or connection. All of these politics and social media and media and film and art. I, I, art even is people searching for meaning and connection in this world and i think the thing is is that um if you were unmoored from the classical group dynamic of the pack or the family as as humans have you know what is your connection i at least for me you know i consider myself an atheist i'm probably closer to a nihilist but the the you know growing up in in um a catholic school everybody around me quote felt god heard god knew god was there and i as a very concrete scientific based 10 year old was like i have none of these things this is just going to an ornate house and praying to an imaginary person 
and then having a old man tell me how I've sinned. Um, and it's, you know, I think all of these things, like you say, pull in, in a lot of cases, pull people further away. And I think QAnon is, is, I know I bring it up a lot, but I'm like, it's, it's so it's the contemporary cult, right? It's the contemporary thing that, that pulls people together while separating them apart. And I think that's why you can't trust any, anything that has a, that tells you it's going to give you something, right? Any movement that asks for something from you so that it can give you meaning is not real or is not going to give you anything. And I think that's why when you take like even master classes online, like you have to take that with a grain of salt, like they're giving you something, but how far can you take it? Are they really giving you some secret? You know? And I think, I think that's the thing is, is to your point, Skip, they're all separating people while claiming they'll bring them together and give them meaning. But in the end, what does it matter if you're communist or capitalist? So to, as a nihilist, you must Bergman is a, like your favorite filmmaker? Oh yeah, no, I love Bergman. <laughs> I, I, I went through a phase where I was sending people like uh, Max von Sydow leaning on walls, just, you know, sighing into the distance as reactions to everything. <laughs> I love a good black and white Bergman, Max von Sydow soliloquy. Yes. I mean, I have the whole, I have the Criterion box set, but there's so much truth in this. And if you know his, his background, his he had a stepfather who was a minister who was mm-hmm. brutal, mm-hmm. brutal to him. Um, and and he's still working. He was, you know, through his last film, he's he was working on those demons, um, oh, yeah. trying to exercise them. I, and I and I'll credit Paul Schrader. First Reformed, I really recommend w- watching it. I think it's the best thing he's done in years. And he's he's totally a hit or miss for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this this one was a hit, but simply because I felt like I was watching a Bergman film. Um, I mean, I, I knew that the, I actually I watched it before I, I read anything about it and I had to look it up immediately. I'm like, oh, my God, he stole this whole movie like this. is not. <laughs> and then he admitted to, as, as such. That's um, the key. You got to admit it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we are, we're all um, any create anyone who creates uh, is takes from what inspires them mm-hmm. i mean that's that's just i think the natural way way that it goes um and that's you know hopefully you know i would i would hope this is part of the the mission of what the uh, shauna foundation is that we we would love to encourage encourage more people to create um and not necessarily because you know you think the world is meaningless but you know maybe maybe you can create something that that has meaning um that's what i do (laughs) you gotta Um, make it you know it's meaningless but you gotta make the meaningless mean something yes (laughs) these large existential questions and the sacred cows of our society like religion and and marriage maybe satire and absurdism are are the best ways to to deal with them to to examine them because they are absurd no i i i agree i i for me I mean, uh, humor, uh, making fun of everything is what's made is probably why I'm still here. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 if I couldn't make fun of it, um, I don't know. That's my strongest coping mechanism with anything. As you know, with the full disclosure with me in the church before, and then the jokes about the Woody Allen jokes about me being in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I, one of the things I was taught that I had to do was reframe you know, you have to reframe these things to then cope better. And I found that I took to reframing very easily and, and, and as did my therapist. And we, once you wondered why, why did that take to me so quickly? And we figured out it's because of Groucho Marx, because I look, whatever I'm presented with, I try to make into a joke the way Groucho would since I was a teenager. That's been my entire life is thinking of Groucho jokes. The things that I, I've i learned very well to um, self-edit now, so I don't <laughs> always say these things that I that are in my head. But Almost no, it's for I, us all, uh, truly. Humor, I, I think, is 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 a very important thing. And 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 the fact that this is we're doing this under the with the, the guys of, of the under the banner of the Shauna uh, Foundation. It's interesting that Shauna was the first one in our family, not me, to walk away from the church. 
<laughs> supposed to get confirmed. She's like, this is yeah. crazy. You people are out of your minds. This isn't real. Um, you know, to much to the shock of her grandparents, which was, you know, she didn't really disappoint me, but she knew that that was going to have an effect on her grandparents, but she just couldn't partake in it. Uh, she had other things to do, which was actually in her very brief 16 year life um, was to enjoy that those 16 years as much as she could. And I, there's a lesson there. I, I think she she's, was able to see at a very young age, the absurdity in all of this and, and lived accordingly. So if anyone wasn't depressed before, <laughs> no, we'll, we'll throw that in the mix. I feel like we should this is where we should stop and have a uh, bumper commercial for like therapy for like uh <laughs> one of those uh we should, do a, we should do a satirical one on that we should yeah we should <laughs> we i was gonna say we should get the, we should get uh funding from better help or one of the like texting therapy chains <laughs> to like come in here and be like do you need help after listening to this show yeah actually for this episode it should be something like blue apron because that would highlight <laughs> the absurdity Better. you're not wrong you're not wrong no that 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 i could definitely go for like a cupcake right now um, <laughs> that's that's also terrific uh coping mechanism so uh, with with camus absurdism and it's funny Andrew, you mentioned um existentialism he's mm. um he swore up and down he wasn't an existentialist camus like you read what you wrote like yeah. i don't know so yeah he, i say he, i say yeah to that one <laughs> yeah i think i think there, there was a little denial there but because he didn't come up with with the philosophy of existentialism it couldn't be his yeah it's a little 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 ego going on there that is, <laughs> no it's absurdism it's the one that i kind of coined i didn't actually yeah. but people say i did uh, <laughs> That was that was the beautiful thing in in Conk on Earth when she mm. talked about the uh, the printing press Gutenberg's printing press. She said it was it was invented in in China before it was invented first. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it. <laughs> that was great. Um, but see, those that joke will last forever. Yeah. Um, that that's some of those things are timeless, and and it actually shows how uh, what we teach isn't often the truth either. Oh yeah, um, but you know, but but then you know, I write how how do you tackle the educational system? Because everyone want everyone wants them to teach what they want them to teach. They're yeah. tackling themselves these days, getting rid of like AP African American history. Yeah, and, that was you know, they're doing their own they're doing their own job yeah. tackling themselves. Yeah, that was. That, I'm rubbing my forehead on that. That yeah. was um, that was a shocker to me. Mm -hmm. Um, shouldn't be. Um. Yeah, I was wondering why it was a shocker to me. Actually, um, seems to be the direction things are going these days. The the uh, irony of of that that whole time period that we just we're coming out of with COVID, and the discussion we've had previously about protests. Because of COVID, everyone was protesting because we had time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but at the same time. We were protesting in groups of people that we shouldn't have been in because of yeah. COVID. Yeah. Um, so I was like, what do you do? That was um, that was my big issue during COVID was I was like, I'm not going out to protest because COVID. But also, like, I was I, I kept trying to come up with like, can we have some sort of, I mean, we have petitions, right? That's the uh, that's the digital version of protesting. But it was exactly that point, Skip, where you're like, I'm very mad about things, but I don't want to be near other people to be mad about them. See, I I, see? I, I went anyway, um, because if, if you see me at a protest, I'm still not standing with the crowd, even in, even in good, healthy times. Yes. Yeah. I never really want to be associated with anyone. Yeah. So I'm kind of here supporting you. <laughs> Yay. I'm giving you a number to add when you say so many people showed up. Yeah, exactly. But exactly. I'm standing, you know, by the green line so I can get home pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I always think of um, there's this British uh, protest sign that's that somebody posted photos of online that's always been my favorite, which says "Down with this sort of thing." <laughs> <laughs> they get it. <laughs> uh, yes, I need to have that hanging in here. Um, <laughs> so let's go through our list of. Uh, absurdist uh, or satirical pieces. And I know we probably already mentioned some of them. Hmm. 
So, Patrick, you go first this time. Sure. You already took uh, one of mine, the Kunk on Earth, I was going to mention. So I'm going to replace it with uh, a movie that I just watched a couple of weeks ago for the first time, Possession, uh, from 1980. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah! Uh, which is, um, I, I don't know if you'd call it satire. I'd definitely call it absurd. An absurd look at divorce and and motherhood and 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 uh marriage and and jealousy uh uh i, I don't know if i was entertained but i was definitely fascinated <laughs> and uh I, I recommend it um and then uh the next two are kind of related uh the the recent film the menu which i think mm. uh uh does a good job of satirizing uh particularly the way wealthy people want to have experiences instead of just uh, in enjoying what's in front of them. And related to that, uh, the filmmaker uh, Ruben, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, oh, wrong, uh, Ustland, uh, who has made uh, Force Majeure and uh, this year was Triangle of Sadness. Uh, he's, uh, he's uh, if you haven't seen his films, he's, they're very much satires. The second film I haven't seen, The Square, which is uh, actually a satire of the art world. Uh, but the 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 my favorite is Force Majeure. It's uh, a satire of masculinity. Uh, uh, very funny. And then uh, another two that uh, actually I'll, I'll just go on to the last one. Um, uh, since uh, this will be in the past by the time this podcast is out, but. We're showing one of my grandfather's films, uh, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek, at our monthly screening here in, in, in uh, Southbridge, Massachusetts. And Preston Sturges, I think, is underrated as a, as a satirist. He, uh, mm. he, he, he took on uh, a lot of sacred cows, uh, Hollywood, motherhood, the military, uh, <laughs> which I, I find amazing because he was making movies in the middle of World War II. Uh, uh, but his films are are very funny, and I think uh, in some ways they can't help but be dated, but in other ways I think they hold up. Awesome. I would never have thought of Possession as a satire, but saying it's a satire of motherhood, especially, and uh, I'd say a satire of femininity is fascinating. It is definitely an absurdist film oh, yeah. in that. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. Oh, That's so one of I. my favorites. It's right over there. Um. <laughs> good polish filmmaker um also preston sturgis fantastic though my favorite of his is um south beach story which is not i don't think spe specifically satirical in a way all right so i mentioned it before but blazing saddles um was actually the film that made me want to make movies strictly because of how madeline khan was in that film there were a lot of moments where you could see she was very much enjoying the process and i don't think i've ever seen anybody make making movies look that much fun i mean she was lying to me but you know it's fine it's whatever <laughs> we're still we're still friends um i also think as a satire like i said it's still very poignant today even though there are elements of it that are extremely dated um you know uh, there's red face and and similar but i think for mel brooks what he was doing at the time was fascinating um similarly high anxiety is a great one mm -hmm for the treatment of mental health in that era in the media, especially um, life of Brian. It's a favorite uh, uh, religious satire for me, especially mm -hmm. the part where they have the like line of prophets <laughs> that everybody gets <laughs> to choose from. <laughs> I also have the hunt as a satire, mm -hmm. which yeah. uh, is a fascinating one. And I honestly think um before this movie i really liked betty gilpin and then i saw the hunt and i was like i'm committed to see everything she does because she's always different and she goes from like blonde bombshell in something like glow to this character in the hunt who's very masculine and tough and it's a completely believable transition just amazing work of course south park i'm adding it on there it's not a film but I mean, it is the satire of our times. And for all that they pass so many boundaries, I, I can't help but appreciate a lot of the work that they do in satirizing things and 
Um, it was sort of a toss up for me between Team America and South mm. Park, but I I went with South Park because it's the classic. And then throwing it to I know it's again not a film, but I'm throwing it to TikTok and and Instagram if you prefer that source. Um, there's a lot of really great satirists in the Gen Z um, era coming up. Two of my favorites, so I think at least one of them is a is actually a millennial. Um, two that I really enjoy are Stanzi Potenzo, who's Massachusetts based, or at least is from the area originally. And then Mel Mitchell, um, who normally does, does uh, satire at, of white films and white media enterprises by acting like, what if they had a black character in this show, though? And it borders on absurdism and then um, sometimes true critical satire. And right now she is doing an amazing series of... Uh, there's this there's this um movement going on in the podcast world talking about how you know um in the in the um i mean it might be sort of an offshoot of the white misogyny podcast world where it's specifically black male and female podcasters talking about how black women don't appreciate what they have and how they need to respect their men more etc and i can't discuss this (laughs) clearly as a white (laughs) Latina woman, but um, you know, I've, I have had a lot of people tell me about it. And um, Mel Mitchell, if you want to learn more, is the person to go watch. She has some really interesting skits on this that that talk a lot about the toxicity of this area. Wow! See, that's I didn't obviously. I'm I'm a boomer. I didn't. Really... <laughs> <laughs> okay, boomer. I didn't. Uh... I, I didn't know. Actually, that's one thing I actually find very absurd are gen- generations. Yes. How we how we label them. Yeah. Because it all mm-hmm. started with um with like Gertrude Stein. That's how it started. She called like her her lost intellectual friends the lost generation. And we started oh. counting from then. Like she, why did I, why does she have all this power? And I suddenly she, we, we act like she wasn't a sociologist. Like, what the hell is this? I thought she said okay boomer to them, and that's how yeah. that started. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gertrude Stein coined okay boomer. boomer. Yeah, that that's I I find that whole because now I was born in 1960 and apparently I might not be a boomer. Like there's uh, this middle thing because because it's absurd. Oh, you're a boomer. No, I don't even know. Like every everybody my age acts the same. I can tell you we don't. I have dinner with my friends. Yikes. They frighten me with their old people ways. I mean, I I limp when i get up too but that's that's different than, than their... yeah but skip so do i yeah they, no, they, they when i say old people ways it's suddenly they 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 think like old people do you know what i mean mm, yeah it, th- there's this there's not there's no openness to anything new mm-hmm. um yes yeah and it's like what the you know it's every what's the greatest band it's got to be from the 70s right mm-hmm. yeah you know who's the greatest musician i often will put down mozart and then see what people say like like uh, oh he wasn't like <laughs> Jimmy Page is better than him really I don't know skips I, out I would here challenge that skips out here shooting everybody shots <laughs> fired from Skip at all times yeah this is me not self editing um, <laughs> so for uh, mine I, I had Samuel Beckett um, mm. you know waiting for Godot or Crap's Last Tape um, mm-hmm. I I I love both of those pieces. Uh, uh, so I mean, I actually once directed a, a version of Cracks, Craps Last Tape because I love that so much. Um, I put in Martin Scorsese um, and I could say Marty DeBerge, uh when he was satirized <laughs> in uh, Spinal Tap. Um, but but um, but After Hours is, is, oh, yeah. is his forgotten funny movie. I think it's his only funny movie. Um, I don't think he has a sense of humor anywhere. Um, <laughs> no, so... But I even think his his um the the Bob Dylan documentary that he did the Rolling Thunder Review is satire. And have either of you have seen it? No. Um, Which one is it? Sorry, can you say it again? It, it's the Bob Dylan Rolling Thunder oh. Review oh, documentary. Oh yeah, yeah, by, yeah, yeah. By did you see it? I haven't, but I know of it. It's um there it's it's there's satire in there a lot of it. Yeah. Um, there's this one thing because uh, which I loved because Alan Alan Ginsberg like hung around with Dylan and he was with him on this, this whole tour in 1975, there was this other character and they were interviewing the character, you know, it's a young man, mm-hmm. very young man. And, and um, 
Somebody said, well, Allen Ginsberg was a father figure to him. And they cut to Bob Dylan. And Dylan says, Allen Ginsberg was no one's father figure. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's a laugh out loud moment. It's oh, a setup. Yeah. And a, it's a straight setup and punchline. Um, oh, my God. And I thought, oh, that so I was going to say Bergman, I mentioned with Winter Light and, and um, Paul Schrader with First Reform. I I always I'm not going to say always with my five, but I don't just stick with cinema. But uh, I picked John Cage's uh, four minutes and thirty three seconds musical mm -hmm. piece. Mm -hmm. uh, and if anyone is not familiar with it, it's the 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 they just set up on the orchestra and for four minutes and thirty three seconds they don't perform anything. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not really silence mm. because then it's the, the 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 tone of the room. The mm -hmm. uncomfortableness of the people sitting squirming in their chairs. Mm -hmm. uh, so each performance is different, but it it's uh, it's a remarkable piece of absurdist music. Uh, as uh, for as a comedian, I put Andy Kaufman. Um, yes. Um, uh, he, I found this quote from him. It says, "What's real? What's not? That's what I do in my act. I test how other people deal with reality." And and one of my I've never seen him perform this. This is probably only at a club. But he literally, because he was very much uh, into meditation, he literally went on stage, rolled out a sleeping bag, got into it, and and meditated and slept for 10 minutes, got up, rolled up the sleeping bag, and left. And people laughed. Like, which is even more absurd that people laughed at that. I And I just threw in a couple others. I did, I have Life of Brian on this. I mentioned Dr. Strangelove. Uh, Barry Levinson's Wag the Dog, uh, I think yes. is great. And I think that that... Um, might also always be timely moving forward because um, mm -hmm. it, it seems that that's the, the way uh, it is. And then I also put in the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, um, which I, in some ways, I, and, and I had Kubrick before, but I mean, the fact that these people could just never get a dinner together is so hysterical to me. <laughs> um, and then, and it's the same with um, Kubrick, which we had with uh, Dr. Strangelove, but with mm -hmm. Eyes Wide Shut, like for for an entire like two hour plus movie, Tom Cruise couldn't get laid. Like really? <laughs> <laughs> like, How hard is it? <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> it's it's because he's the uh, charming yeah. white man yeah. <laughs> villain yeah. of the yeah. piece. There you go. That was right. The Tom Cruise then before he became unhinged on Oprah, and now people. Yeah. Maybe it would be more difficult now. I don't yeah. know. Supposedly the there was a hat swapping scene and waiting for Godot that was inspired by um, the routine in duck soup that they do. In I that. did not know that. Yeah. I, mean, I know the, the routine, but I didn't know. Yeah. Supposedly. Well, yeah, well Beckett um, supposedly had a sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> <Sometimes>. <laughs> Yet to be seen, but. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, right. Sometimes I didn't see it in his. Did you, did you ever see his movie that he made with Buster Keaton? Which one was it? Oh my god! It, it's it's online. It's maybe twenty minutes long, uh, and it's truly an absurdist piece. I should have put the the name of it down, but Samuel Beckett actually made directed a movie, hmm. um, and and with oh Buster film Keaton. film yeah film since, yes yeah. um I have not seen that, but it is one of the ones again that I know of that I've wanted to see. It's when he's much older. Keaton's like yes, much older. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this is this has been one on my list. For That's probably now. probably in the sixties, late fifties, early sixties, mm -hmm. when you know when Keaton was making his um his surfer movies. Those yeah, movies when he was just... when he was the uh, uh, Don Knotts of that era. Yeah, <laughs> what uh, about absurd? Who Don Knotts? No, no, just <laughs> Buster Keaton appearing yeah. as second banana to Nat Funicello and yeah. Frankie Avalon. Yeah. Andrew liked the, the Don Knotts joke. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever people start talking about absurdism and satire now, I'm going to be like, yeah, like Don Knotts. <laughs> Did you see the incredible, incredible Mr. Lippet? Oh, my God. He turned into a cartoon fish. He, his existence was shattered. <laughs> okay, that's my new favorite. He had, to, he had to come to grips with his new reality and save us from German submarines or something. I don't know. Uh, I, I loved that movie when I was a kid. And on that note, thank you all for, for, for joining us again. We're going to leave on Don Knotts because um, <laughs> I think that's that's a good way to end anything. Um, 
So I, I, I think, and I think he, Don Knotts really is, is still an inspiration today because I believe Merrick Garland is, is doing his best Don Knotts uh, <laughs> deputy there is by not arresting anyone. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I suppose we're probably not supposed to get political on this, um, but that joke's thing. Um, you're, you're getting absurdist. So yes, it's appropriate. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you all. And uh, we'll see you back here next time. Bye. May I have your attention, please? I think you all remember the bargain we made about staying all night. Uh, sorry, Vincent, we're not up for your Don Knotts Ghost and Mr. Chicken challenge tonight. Uh, we're a bit tired, and that's perhaps even too absurd for us. Thanks for joining us today, folks. Our opening and closing themes are by Shane Ivers. Creating Dangerously, a monthly podcast, is a production of the Shauna E. Shea Memorial Foundation, Inc., a 501c3 charitable organization. All views and opinions expressed in Creating Dangerously are not necessarily those of the Shauna Foundation and its affiliates. Not that we have any. They are only the opinions of the hosts and the guests. See you next month, and remember, keep creating dangerously.